the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, coming off a holiday weekend, what is the value of rest? And then we look at just some touching words from a former president. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this Tuesday afternoon as we come off the 4th of July weekend. Aubrey, how was your weekend? We're going to talk about our 4th of July weekends a little bit later in the show, but how was yours? Yeah, it was it was fun. We we had some time with friends. We had some time with family. We had some downtime. It was an enjoyable weekend. How about yours? Good. Yeah, we got out of town nice. uh, and uh, it was really good. And um, yeah, we'll talk about it later. It was good to refresh and kind of rest and mm. get off the kind of hamster wheel we all get on so yep. much. Uh, so we'll talk about rest a little bit and why it's such a value biblically, uh, but also in our lives. But Aubrey, we did want to start in a difficult spot, speaking of Fourth of July weekend, because, you know, sometimes, especially you and I, we live out in the suburbs, you could kind of push this stuff away. But it got me thinking, you and I were talking to Doc Feuder, the founder and director of Heart for the City, talking about those prayer events mm-hmm. going on over the weekend. We talked to him, I believe, on Thursday or Friday of last yep. week. Uh, I was just reading this morning that Fourth of July weekend was Chicago's most violent weekend of 2021. Mm. 104 people were shot, 19 of them killed. Uh, of the 104 shot, 13 of them were kids. And Ugh. we always do read that it's when the weather turns warm, yeah. holiday weekends, that these things kind of happen. But Aubrey, it, it becomes really uh, easy to turn numb to these, right? You watch TV and you're just like, oh my gosh, that's so sad. Now what's on earth, you know, moving on. But there are many people in our listening audience, like this is their reality and it right. is so overwhelming and so right. sad. Yeah. And I, you know, we've said this before many times on The Common Good that we don't ever want to grow numb. And so I think part of the reason why we bring these stories to you is uh, even for our own souls, Brian, so that we don't just uh, skip past some of these important things that are happening in our own backyard. And, you know, there was a story in the Chicago Sun-Times a University of Chicago student died being struck by a stray bullet. He was literally on the L train, mm-hmm. a kid from Denver, and was killed just kind of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. A bullet pierced through the window of his train, and he died at a hospital on Sunday morning. Now, he obviously, he wasn't a target. Right. Um, but we see the reality of gun violence, that it's that it's that it hits more people than our um, meant to be impacted. And right. we, I mean, I love what Doc Feuder is doing downtown, that the fact that there's so many churches getting together and literally just walking through Chicago, laying their hands on buildings, praying where some of these um, shooting sites have happened. And I think it's a call for all of us as Christians to just begin to really pray the violence down in Chicago and 
Write our representatives. I mean, this is where I get on my high horse. Write your leaders and say, I want you to do something about this. Yeah. And and that becomes the hard part. Like what, uh, for those that don't live in those areas, what do you do? You mm-hmm. know, because this happens every summer. It, we yeah. read these stories yeah. and uh, you read these stories and people use kind of our city as a little bit of a punchline or not even a punchline, but as like an example of things that are wrong and this yeah. and they politicize it. And and instead, I, I want these kind of statistics to still break our hearts and mm. to go, man, 13 of them being kids or this story that you read about the U of uh, University of Chicago student. I mean, he was just he was just on the train going home from uh, from his internship, kind of minding his own business and yeah. randomly gets hit and dies. Uh, it, like this still needs to break our heart. And then it just, when I was watching it on the news today, it just reminded me again of our interview, uh, with Doc Feuder last week. It's one of the reasons I really enjoy doing the show is you get to talk to these people and you get to meet these people. Yeah. And Doc Feuder talked about, we even specifically asked him the question, are you hopeful for the city? Like what gives you hope mm-hmm. for the city? And, and he talked about the unity amongst, uh, African American and, and white churches and pastors and people of faith kind of joining together, but also kind of challenged all of us. I know you and I felt that challenge challenged us to the need for prayer, for people to be praying for the city and to, to literally like be, be walking in the city and to not forget about the city. And that's a, you know, again, some people are listening right now from the city, but you and I, again, both living in the suburbs, it can right. be easy to kind of think of the city. Well, it takes me a half hour, 40 minutes to get there, but mm-hmm. it feels like a world away. Uh, or even when you live in the city there, you know, specific portions of the city could feel like that. Like, yo, you were in the very touristy, very nice area versus where some of this is happening. And right, again, Aubrey, right. I, guess, I guess the question is, what do we do? And and I don't know if you were just reminded again of what Doc Feuder told mm-hmm. us about just the need for especially the church to be praying right now. Yeah. What I appreciated is he, he specifically called the church to be praying for the shalom of the city. And then he defined for us that shalom is, is not just the absence of conflict. Certainly that's part of it, especially in these cases, but it is peace and justice. And so I think that's a good call for all of us as Christians to, you know, every single morning, if you get up and you pray, add the city of Chicago to your prayer list, pray for God's shalom to come for an end to this violence, for peace to reign and for justice to come so that the city can see a new day. And then I think we can partner with Heart for the City Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, they have lots of gatherings they're doing in the city, I have a friend who was actually with them over the weekend who told me on Sunday they're beginning to look to do more of these prayer walks in the suburbs as well. So we pray oh, over huh. the suburbs, but also as suburban nights, we remember to pray for the city of Chicago. And so, you know, there are ways we can be very intentional to to partner with God in prayer for Chicago. If you want to go to a website, it's chiunitepray.com, C-H-I-unitepray.com and find out how to pray for the city. Yeah. And so again, wanted to start there again, you, you know, you, you kind of want to come in off of a holiday week and be like, hey, what did you eat at the barbecue? Hey, how was your rest? You know, we're going to do that. We're going to talk about that as the show goes on. But it certainly feels important uh to to have this conversation yeah. about what's going on in the city that we love. 
and and what is the role of the church. Did want to provide uh, a little bit of uh, update or closure on w- another story that we followed all last week, and that is uh, that horrible, horrible condo collapse tragedy uh, in the Miami area. I don't know if you saw Bray this week. They literally imploded the I rest of see. the building. Uh, and I was so interested that they did that so that they could get to the pile easier. Right. Get uh, to more bodies, ideally. Yeah. Ideally. And so some more bodies were uh, extracted today. But as you read the stories, uh, it's just more and more tragic as you read, you know, so-and-so talking about their uh, their loved one or their friend or this. Mm. And, and it's just a reminder again. And we've been saying this all week, Aubrey. I think it's just a reminder again of just the fragility of life. Yeah. And again, the book of yeah. James, that nothing is promised to us. Mm. I, you know, thinking specifically about Miami, too, there's now news of Hurricane Elsa making its way. I think it's in Cuba now and making its way towards the Florida Keys. And so that's an added concern. And I, I think you're right, Brian. We have to remember that life is fragile, fra- fragile. Fra- <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is. Life is magical and fragile all at once. Right. <laughs> fragile. Yes. But, uh, you know, this is where we have to know before our Lord, I think that God is good and we have to lean into God's goodness when it feels really, really hard. And then also that God is a God of justice. And so just Mm. okay, Lord, please bring answers in these situations that feel so horrible. Please sustain us by your peace. Because sometimes it can feel hard to just like keep going and stay positive. But if we can focus on God's promises, if we can focus on one day, and not now, obviously, but one day, all will be made new. One day, there will be no more Amen. tears, no more pain, no more suffering. If we can keep that future hope, um, then that gives us the strength we need to keep going. Absolutely. That's well put. Well, coming up next, we are going to reflect back on our holiday weekends, but talk about a bigger thing. What is the role of rest? What is the role of restoration in our lives? It's biblical. You know, we talk about Sabbath uh, and we're reminded of that as we take a holiday weekend, like many of us did this past weekend. We're going to reflect upon the need for rest next here on The Coming Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. It's good to be back today after... Uh, a little bit of break, like all of us, we took a 4th of July weekend. You know, I, I learned, I don't know why I didn't realize, Aubrey, that when the 4th of July is on the weekend, it becomes a federal holiday on July 5th. Like, it's I not, love it. I, I don't, I don't know. I probably should have known that. I just assumed people took then off the Monday, but no, it's actually the holiday uh, observed. So hopefully you got a little bit of time away. And Aubrey, we touched on it earlier, but, um, what was your weekend like? What What are the highlights? What were the highlights for you and Kevin and your boys? How did you kind of, what did your weekend look like that was different than say a normal weekend? Yeah, I would say one of the biggest highlights, <laughs> this is going to show you what an introvert I am, but uh Kevin took the boys to spend some time with um, his family, his mom and his dad. And I stayed at home because nice. I have just been going and doing nonstop. Also, I'll be frank, I had a sermon to write that wasn't quite ready for Sunday morning. <laughs> and I just said, you know what, babe, do you mind if I just stay home, work on my sermon, get some rest? And he was like, please go. That sounds great. And it was so, so fantastic, Brian. Like, just I just enjoyed that time alone, refreshing my soul. And then on 
Sunday, Kevin and Eli went over to a friend's house to have steaks and do some fun Fourth of July stuff. And then I stayed home with the little boys and we we watched Independence Day, of course, obviously. (laughs) But then this was the best part is there were fireworks all throughout our neighborhood or you could at least see the fireworks from our neighborhood. So we just started running around our neighborhood at like 9.30 p.m. chasing fireworks. And it was so great. It was a great great weekend how about you how was your fourth of july by the way and then i'll get into it your husband i mean when you say can i stay back and work on my sermon he's also the pastor of the church and so uh, i feel like that's a double right if he's like nope i'd prefer you be unprepared for our (laughs) service tomorrow yes it helps that you know he he preaches as well and so it helps that he understands it sometimes like Oh man, no, I just got to stay home and write my sermon. And he's like, totally get it. Go, go and do it. Yeah. Well, our family, uh, it started like it often does with baseball Friday and Saturday. Okay, fine. Uh, But then we left his tournament early and we went up. uh, My my brother in law and sister in law have a cabin just outside the Dells, kind of out in the woods. You don't see another house. We love this place. And then there's a boat on a on a lake there that we go on. And I learned that I'm too old to be tubing now. Like my whole body hurts right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, it, it is so painful to tube these days. That's so oh, true. <laughs> my goodness. I'm hurting. But just, Aubrey, to spend a couple days with family yeah, uh, and to spend it on a lake and to, you know. Be I, in the I, sunshine. That's so great. To not be worrying about what's going on at church or what are we doing mm. on the radio show today, all of yeah. which I love, right? Like, of but, but to unplug, I guess, is the word to unplug and just be with my family and some extended family. Uh, it just reminds you, like, okay, that's good. Like, I, I need more of that in your life, which is interesting. You, you know, I went away, you stayed home, but we're both kind of saying the same things, like this opportunity to disconnect. Uh, but what's the learning curve for us there, right? Good because question, I think we yeah. all know we need to disconnect, but we're probably pretty bad at it on a week to week basis. You know, I'm finding this is really interesting. I have never had a problem saying no. Like even in my early years in ministry, like I was really good at setting boundaries. And I don't know if it's coming out of the pandemic and just wanting to like do all the things again. But I have had a hard time creating spaces for rest and creating boundaries and saying no to things. I'm like, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll hang out with you. (laughs) Yes, I'll, you know, and I I think it probably just shows how hungry we are for connection. But like with, um, I think the learning curve, as you ask, you know, for me, was this weekend, like, I just was like, I need to stop or I'm going to lose my mind. (laughs) Like, I need to, I need to be with Jesus. I need to be with myself. I need to just go on a walk. I need to, I sat on my back porch and just listen. Our, our neighbors had a mariachi band. So I sat on our back porch and just listened to that. Like, I, I don't know. I think the learning curve, I guess, is somehow we have to create spaces for rest throughout our week consistently. I don't have the right answer right now. Yeah. In this article we saw, uh, I love these websites. This one's called lifehacker.com. It talks about the seven types of rest. Let me just read these. Okay. uh, Because they're in their research, they've identified seven distinct types of rest that the human body and mind require. And I read these. I'm like, oh, I do that one well, not that one so well. So let me just quickly read the seven and maybe you choose one that you're like, oh, that's an interesting one. Uh, number one is mental rest. Give your brain a break. Number two, sensory rest. Unplug and mm. reduce your external stimuli. Number three, creative rest. Do something you find inspiring to take a break from churning out new ideas. Number four, emotional rest. 
Uh, that says processing your emotions so you don't hold on to them. Number five, social rest, spend time alone. Number six, spiritual rest, connect with God. Uh, number seven, physical rest, sleeping and allowing your body to slow down or pause to re- pause to relax. Which one of those jumped out to you? Oh, man, I, I like the there's a couple. The creative restaurant one, doing something you find inspiring to take a break from churning out new ideas. I, I do think because I, I am a creative person at heart as a writer, but sometimes I don't allow myself time for creative creativity because I'm busy doing tasks, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I love the idea of even, I I used to do, I mean, this is where I'm like, I used to be good at this. I don't know what's happened, but I used to, when I needed a break, do some painting. No, I'm not a good painter. I'm terrible at it, but it just like (laughs) free my mind and free my hands and do something different. And then that would actually inspire me to go back to writing. So I like that idea. I like the creative rest. And I, I, I mean, Social rest is so important to me as an introvert. Mm. I love, love, love being with people, but I definitely have to just say, okay, I'm done now. I need time alone so I can go back to being with the people that I love. Okay, what stood out to you? Yeah, and that's interesting. You don't strike me as this heavy introvert. I know people talk, people are always surprised by that because I'm this I think I'm kind of a rare breed of like I do love people and I and I love engaging with people. I love going and doing things with people, but you know how they say sometimes you're an introvert or an extrovert based on how you refuel? 100%. I yes. have to refuel mm-hmm. alone. Yep. Yep, that is it. Well, I think the one that jumps out to me because I think it's the greatest struggle right now for me and for a lot of us is just sensory rest. Mm. What does it look like to actually unplug from your phone, from your computer, from the television, from whatever else for some time to actually enjoy nature, to pray, to think, whatever it might be? I think a lot of times we think we're resting but we're still overloading in a sensory way because the TV's still on. Or like we said, we're just scrolling on our phone. Right. And it's, it's not that rest that we actually need. Aubrey, with like the minute and a half we have left, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to preach a minute and a half <laughs> sermon here on the value biblically mm, of rest and right. Sabbath. Oh, uh, yeah. How is that a biblical concept? Yes. I mean, the Lord told the Israelite people after he set them free from slavery that you are to rest. And of course, we know that because God rested in Genesis 1 after creating the world that we are also mandated to rest. And I think the reality is rest reminds us that we are no longer slaves. Rest mm-hmm. is a gift. And what we've said before on The Common Good and what we're saying here now, even with this article is, Rest doesn't mean laying around on your couch doing nothing. Correct. Rest is taking time to remember that God is God. You are not God. And therefore, you put all the things you're doing that try to make you seem like God, you put them away and you put worship back in its proper perspective. And rest is a gift. So this is a time for your soul to refresh in the goodness of God, the goodness of his created world. And um, it's also, last thing, it's also a spiritual discipline. So mm-hmm. we do have to get in the habit of it in order to begin to receive the value of rest. There you go. Rest is not easy. I like how you ended with that because sometimes rest takes work mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> to get to the point where you can rest, to get to that uh, to that spot. But yeah, such an important thing. Hopefully you got a little bit of rest, relaxation, some restoration over the holiday weekend. Well, coming up next, I want to share with you one of the sweetest things I read. It was from a former president from over the weekend. I want to share those uh, encouraging, challenging words with you next here on The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. AIM 
Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. I saw something on. I think it was Good Morning America. And then it was there was an article at the New York Times. And I just I'm a sucker for like like happy stories. Like I've told you before, I could go down. People go down rabbit holes on YouTube of watching like dark stuff. And yeah. Conspir- I go down rabbit holes of watching soldiers return and, and oh, surprise their family. Those like, videos are, oh, those videos like wreck me. Those are amazing. Uh, as an aside, the other day I got watching and I know people are like, uh, that show was on a long time ago and I've seen them. I never really was a fan of Undercover Boss, but I watched, started, somehow got into <laughs> clips of this. I don't think I've ever this. seen that. Oh, yeah? Oh, my gosh. Like, I was undercover. You were like, you're struggling to feed your family. Here's $50,000. Oh, oh, I didn't know about that show. Wow. Wow. That's a tearjerker. And you might not know the internet works this way, that once you search it once, it keeps coming to you. So <laughs> so all you're doing is watching videos. Of, we're going to be start. We're going to start talking about Undercover Boss on the show. People are going to be like, Wait, that show's over. I know. I know. Give me top five tearjerker uh, uh, internet things that you get caught on. That could Ooh, be right there, that's so. good. I like that. Okay, but it's the story of the oldest living president, Jimmy Carter, and his wife, Rosalind. I'm already about to, I'm, I don't know why I have to preface this by saying I don't care at this moment whether you like his politics or not. That is not what this story yeah. is about. Yeah. But here's an amazing thing, Aubrey. They are celebrating this weekend 75 years of marriage. Unbelievable. That has to be a record. I mean, yes. that is amazing. So their anniversary is this Wednesday, July the 7th, a 75-year marriage. He was 21. She was 18 when they got married. So for those of you who struggle with math, Jimmy Carter is now 96 years old and Rosalind Carter is 93 and and besides just highlighting how awesome that is and again politics aside jimmy carter still teaches sunday school at his church at 96 and so uh, i want you to hear what they said because i do want to spend a little bit of time talking about longevity of marriage how do we do this and so listen to this clip from jimmy and rosalind carter 75 years of marriage that is remarkable congratulations mrs carter what is the secret to this partnership? Well, I think we give each other space and we try to do things together. We're always looking for things we can do together, like birding and fly fishing and just anything we can find to do together. And President Carter, I, I think people look at this long and happy marriage and I think they'd love to know what, especially couples who uh, have been through what the two of you have been through. What's the secret when you don't see eye to eye on something for how you patch it back together? At the end of the day, we try to become reconciled and overcome all the differences that arose during the day. Uh, We also uh, make up and give each other a kiss before we go to sleep. And we, uh, we always read the Bible every night, which kind of as a different aspect to their life. So we really try to become completely reconciled each night before we go to sleep. All right. And now at the end of this article, just to put a bow on this, uh, while holding her hand, he said this, Aubrey, just listen to this quote, 96-year-old Jimmy Carter okay. after 75 years. He said, 
I've been very happy, he said, letting out a little laugh. And I love Rosalind more now than I did to begin with. Which is saying a lot because I loved her a lot then. And that's how the article ends. Wow. This is just beautiful. Just a beautiful beautiful picture of marriage. But Aubrey, let's, with a little bit of our time, ask this question. You and I have both been married to our spouses for like 20 plus years now, which feels like a long time. Obviously not in Jimmy Carter years. Uh, (laughs) Right. But if somebody asks you, Aubrey, what is the secret to a long, uh, a long lasting Mm. marriage? How do you make it when those honeymoon years, those first couple years are gone and now you're just in the grind of life? How do you survive? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to have big picture tools and you have to have small picture tools. So big picture tools to, to survival, to making it in marriage is certainly a common foundation and mission that says we will make this marriage work for the glory of God. Like we are in this thing and we're not going anywhere, even when it's hard. Mm. And then I think, you know, day to day, like there are things Kevin and I have had to learn through some really hard times in our marriage. We've had to learn really how to invest in each other, how to take time for one another. Uh, We've had to learn that the way we have conflict matters a lot more than what the actual conflict is, that it it matters that you speak to one another with kindness and with respect and that really you pour into that that friendship because that's ultimately what lasts the test of time. And I think probably for you and Carrie, too, Brian, I think for Kevin and I, it helps that we feel like we have a marriage that's on mission, like we're doing ministry Mm. together. So we have purpose. And because of that it doesn't get boring. You know what I mean? Like we, yeah. we have something we're after together. What about you? What do you feel like the secret to a long last? Not again, not 75 years, but 20 plus years. What's been the secret for you guys? Right. And, and I think the struggle for us that we win at times and lose at times right now is a reminder of that, that we're just not, you know, two people trying to run an organization that is the from family, right? With all yeah. the schedules yeah. and all my meetings and her photography and mm. my kids baseball and mm. softball. You could really get into a point where you just go crazy for weeks, months, years. And then all of a sudden you move into that next season of life. Kids are gone. Things slow down. And you're like, who are you? Yeah, right? Like, who are you? Right. I think Carrie and I have had the really fight. And like I said, we do this really well at times and we do this really poorly at times of like, Nope, we're not just like co-leaders of this family. And, you know, then we'll just kind of fall into bed and just fall asleep and away, you know, do it yeah, again the next day. Yeah. But this idea of like, nope, we need to go on a date. Yep. We need to go on a walk. Yep. I'm going to text my wife right now. Like yep. this kind of stuff, be- it lays the seeds and the groundwork for like, okay, our marriage is important. Not just because it, we, it allows us to separate the duties and the problems of the family, uh, but that we are doing this together. And yeah. I wanted to end this last thing. Jimmy Carter said this, and then we'll end here. He says, I know for my sake, it's been the, talking of his marriage. It's been the best things I best thing I've ever had happen to me. This is president of the United States. Best thing I've ever had happen to me, marrying Rosalind and living together for so long, growing to know each other more and more intimately every day in married life, every day, 75 years. Amazing. He kind of says, that's the key that every day, they continue to grow. Oh, I found that to be so encouraging and also challenging. Hopefully you did as well. Well, coming up next, uh, friend of the show, Ashante Petaway is going to join us because we're about to release his video message at the 11, uh, AM 1160's Lift 2021 
virtual conference this Thursday. Uh, and we're going to talk to Ashante about what it is he's going to share at Lyft. You're going to want to stay with us as we talk to Ashante Petaway next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. And here at AM 1160, we are really excited about the 2021 Lyft Virtual Conference that is brought to you by Hopeful Beginnings, by Moody Theological Seminary, and by MyPillow. Here's how it's working. Each Thursday in July, we're releasing video encouragement from a number of contributors around the theme of mental health for pastors and ministry leaders. You can check those out each Thursday at 1160hope.com slash lift. Again, that's 1160hope.com slash lift. And you're going to want to go this Thursday and hear the message that is going to be released by our friend joining us right now, Ashanti Petaway. Ashanti, how are you doing today? Oh, man, it's wonderful. It's a good day out here. It's beautiful weather. And Brian and Aubrey, it is good to be with you and the Common Good family again. Anytime. We love to have you. And Ashanti, we're excited to have you uh, sharing at the virtual Lyft conference. So let's just start there. If people go and they click on 1160hope.com slash Lyft this Thursday and they click on your message, what are they going to hear? What is it that you're sharing this week? Well, I'll tell you, the first thing they can expect is they'll see a very fine, handsome, young, 40-year-old man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, uh, I, you know, I have a passion, uh, and we briefly talked about it last time we were together, uh, for leaders and, uh, even people, leaders at home, like moms and really talking about this idea of self-sufficiency. I think it's something that is very destructive. Uh, I think it's something that we've just kind of been taught in our culture. Uh, and it actually leads us to live a life that is counter the scriptures. God calls us to live a life where we're living in community. Uh, he sent the disciples out to do ministry in twos. This is not a journey we do solo. Uh, but in our culture, I say, especially in the West, this idea that we say, hey, listen, we're supposed to be individuals. We pull ourselves up our own bootstraps and get it done. Uh, and that is slowly uh, corroding us and uh, causing us to lose ourselves, causing us to lose sight of who God is, and then also doing a lot of destruction to our, our, our family and surroundings around us. But uh, we're going to talk about that and see what God's answer is and how we all have fallen victim, victim to it at some point in our lives. Uh, but I'm thankful to be able to share this with Lyft and really just praying that God will move in the hearts of those to know there's hope. Uh, and if you've been walking down that way, uh, don't worry. He's, he's not too far away to have you get back into where you need to be. Oh, I love that. That's so great. Ashanti, last time we were together, you told us that you were starting a organization or a ministry really for mental health um, amongst pastors, mental health in the city, mental health in your community. Can you tell us uh, the latest update on that? Yeah, so we're still steadily doing that work. I uh, had the great pleasure of actually leading a couple of retreats over the last two weeks, one in West Virginia that was centered around uh, young high schoolers, and then one also up in Deerfield at our dear friends Trinity, uh, the 360-degree leadership conference that they have for their high schoolers as well. So still actively uh, doing work in that area. Me and my wife are still seeing uh, couples, so doing marriage counseling, which is, again, I think an important part of doing service in the community because uh, a lot of families are in need of uh, healthy relationships skills and tools to be able to use. Because quite frankly, I think as we see healthier families, we see a healthier society. So if mom and dad can actually be in a space, 
kids can be in a healthier space. If kids are in a healthier space, then as they interact with the broader community, everybody's in a healthier space. So, so actively working towards it, still raising support for it, and uh, just thankful to God for his faithfulness in it. So uh, we're still trucking away one step at a time uh, and I'm looking forward to see how God continues to do the work. Oh, that's great. And Ashanti, uh, again, to help us understand, help people understand how hard it is culturally for us to be coming out of this pandemic right now and, and the pressure on marriages, on, on pastors, as you're going to be talking about, and ministry leaders, and the need to do this mental health work right now, especially as we come out of this long pandemic. Yeah, we, I know we talked about it. This is the thing. We are made up of a lot of emotions. <laughs> Uh, God has created us with emotional feelings and all these things. And if we live life assuming that those things just take care of themselves, we're lying to ourselves. So much of our emotions dictate what we do. Not saying that we should be led by emotions, but a lot of times uh, that's what we wrestle with. I actually heard a message by Dr. Carpenter Lewitz, one of my favorite guys, and he said, emotions or feelings are great passengers, but they're horrible drivers. And so it's the same way. We've actually got to be taking steps towards healing and working through those issues so that we can actually be the fullest we need to be in Christ in order to serve our broader community, in order to serve the church, in order to actually be who Christ has called us to be. And so I think, again, churches are going to be required to this season to really engage this. We can't, again, the gospel message is what we need. But I encourage you to look at the scriptures and look at how Jesus related to people. You think of a woman at the well. He shared the gospel with her, but he, he attends to her relationally first. Uh, there's so many times where he communicates and touches the heart of someone relationally and then gives the gospel and then does the miracle work. And uh, I think sometimes as a church, we bypass that unintentionally. Uh, but we've got to get back to that where we're dealing with people's hearts, their emotions, and all that they make up to be and share the gospel and see God do his work. So I'm excited to be a part of that and excited to see churches begin to step into that even more. Yeah, that's awesome. And Ashanti, with just the minute or so that we have left, um, you know, again, we're excited about your lift speech that's coming up this week. Uh, people are interested in watching that. You can go to 1160hope.com slash lift. What are you hoping that, um, I, I don't know, what are you hoping people get from your message? Oh, man, that's a great question. I'll be, I appreciate it. Uh, my desire is the same wherever I go, and it's been like this for probably half of my life, definitely the whole time I've been walking with Jesus, is that you experience the love of Christ when you listen to the message. Yes, there may be aspects of conviction. There'll be aspects where you feel challenged, but that you know in that conviction and that challenge, it comes from a space of love. And that in it, you see, okay, Christ, I see your love. God, I see your love in this and how you are pointing me in a new direction. And so from there, then taking the steps with Christ and with the Lord uh, to then make those adjustments in life. So I pray that they bring you healing, uh, love, and it might even cause you to shed a few tears as you reflect on it yourself and think about, man, God, I've actually been feeling like this. And so uh, that is my prayer that you, you just feel, you feel blessed and encouraged by the Holy Spirit as you move forward and listen this Thursday. That's awesome. I'm sure people will be. Again, go to 1160hope.com slash lift. Again, each Thursday through the month of July, we're releasing video encouragements uh, around this topic, this theme of mental health for pastors and ministry leaders. And this Thursday, uh, you will be, you will hear from Ashanti Petaway. He's director of network partnerships for the Chicago Partnership. 
Uh, also want to point you to uh, fundingtribefoundation.kindful.com. Did I get that website right, uh, uh, Ashanti, where people can find out more? Yes, or you can just type in fundingdrive.org forward slash Ashanti. That's a little shorter, so it might be easier to find. So that's absolutely forward slash Ashanti. And what I would, if you don't mind, Brian and Aubrey, I just want to say one last thing. This is my encouragement, too. I just want to, as, as leaders who hear this, know that, again, uh, it's coming from a place of love, but recognize that as I speak to you, I'm speaking to myself. So this is an Ashanti Pedaway, the preacher coming to you, uh, saying you need to step your game up and be like me. This is Ashanti Pedaway, your brother in the Lord, saying, hey, this is a journey we're in together. Well, that's a great word. Again, go to 1160hope.com slash lift this Thursday. Ashanti, when, when people are on more than once, they are officially a friend of the show. So we're excited to have you as a friend of the show. And uh, we'll do this again sometime. Well, the funny thing is, I saw I, I you guys family after the first one. So you're catching there up. You go. Oh, love it. Love it. <laughs> well, we do not be a stranger. We will have you on again. Again, that's Ashanti Petaway. Glad that he's able to join us and glad that you're joined us. Stick with us. Coming up next hour, Aubrey's got some venting to do. We're going to start there next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, we're talking about communication and assumptions we make about one another. And we're asking the question why the church can't be the same after COVID. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Tuesday afternoon. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Brian Fromm. It doesn't feel like a Tuesday because we had yesterday off. So I had to almost look at the calendar and say, wait, what day of the week is it right now? Okay, Brian, I want to vent about something. I couldn't be more excited. Uh, I feel like you come on here to vent, so I'm going to come on here to vent, and I'm going to try to be careful in my venting. But what I want to have is a conversation about communication and assumptions we make about one another. So who are you communicating with specifically? I'm not going to tell (laughs) that. I will say, oh, for some reason this week, and I don't know if I brought it on by something I posted. I'm not sure why. But this week in particular, I received... A few DMs and a few What is a DM for those people who do not know? Yes, Yes. a direct message on social media through Instagram or through Facebook. Um, You can receive them on Twitter as well. Um, And then a few emails from people. Okay, so the the emails were simply four words like trying to convince me of their way of thinking about Mm. something regarding racism that I just disagree with. This person knows I disagree with them and yet continues to send me emails. Oh, So we'll talk about that. That's one thing, yes. okay? The email forwards, because I don't ever take the time to send emails, but people in my life do. Okay, the second thing is, I got a DM over the weekend. Someone said to me, like a, someone I know in life said to me, abortion is not about women's rights. It's about or pro-life is not about women's rights. It's about protecting babies, something like that. And I said, yes, I agree with you. <laughs> yes. And this person wrote back, oh, I thought you would unfriend me because I sent this to you. Weird. And I, yes, weird, right? So then I, I didn't respond. And then a few hours later, I thought, wait a second. 
I'm going to follow up with this. Why? And I said, wait, I'm confused. Why did you, what about this made you think I would unfriend you? What is going, I I can't remember exactly said what, tell me what led you to believe that question mark. Haven't heard back, but okay. Can we talk about the way we communicate and the assumptions we make about each other? Yes. Okay. Good. Yes. I, one, (laughs) I don't know why this person maybe assumed I wasn't pro-life. I never post anything about like pro-choice ever. And so I'm, I, I'm guessing that they're making assumptions about me based on other things that I've posted. But then the second assumption that I would have unfriended this person, even though I agreed, they assume I disagreed, that I would have been unfriended over this disagreement. That is so, I'm so baffled by that. There's a third part to it too that you're missing. Okay, tell me the third part. The third part is, and they were okay sending that. (laughs) They were okay with you unfriending them. Right. They were like, felt like this was God calling them to like stand up for something. Interesting. Right? And then, okay, so these are two different things. The email, I don't know if you get these, Brian. Do you get the emails from people who are trying to convince you of things? I I don't. Okay. I, I know I've got some people close to me who will do the email thing. Yeah. Like that, and I think that is about as um, ineffective a way of communicating. It's not, I'm right. Let me email you what I think. It's let me forward you what somebody else thinks. Yes. And it's kind of a mirror into what, or a uh, window into what I think. Uh, I tend to. Uh, Truth be told, if yeah. you're out there and you're like, well, let me start forwarding you emails that you don't get one. I tend to I tend to delete them before reading them. OK, that's, <laughs> like that's a good that's what Kevin does. That's a good tactic. I read and then I and then I think, should I respond? And then I just delete because I think this isn't actually a conversation. This is just a I'm right. You're wrong kind of thing. And I think ultimately that's what I want to say. Let's have conversations in person. And let's not assume things about the other person um, that are just totally false. And the way we get past these false assumptions is through actual relationship and through talking on the phone or meeting for coffee, Mm -hmm. having these types of disagreements civilly in person. Like, I I feel like we have to like almost go back in time and go back to manners, like, (laughs) like etiquette class. Let's have we can disagree but let's do it remembering that there are real people and so don't assume you know where they're coming from or what they think okay so i I think the 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 weird one to me is the second one you described because we've all gotten the we've all gotten the here's an email forward that hopefully changes your mind and causes you to see the light and yeah yeah uh, you know it feels lazy to me but okay i get it okay Um, but uh, it's kind of on par with I'm going to post on Facebook, you know, a video of somebody else talking about something. And now you're all going to come to my view on this. It's just right, weird right, to me. Right. The weirder one in your situation is, hey, I want I'm sending you a DM because, A, I think this about you. Right. And B, I don't think enough of you to talk to you about it. Right. And C, I'm okay if our relationship breaks down over it because I'm assuming you're going like that feels like all wrapped up into one ball. All that's wrong with with the way that we interact social media wise, because if I was your friend, let's pretend that that I thought that you were uh, that you believe something that really troubled me. Yes. And uh, and you and I are friends. Uh, it's, 
I don't think it would it would be really odd. You and I spend all this time together, and, you know, doing a radio show or text or whatever. It'd be odd if I commented on some <laughs> post of yours going totally. Oh, what you're just a liberal, I see, and blah blah blah, or right. whatever. As opposed to calling you or texting you and be like, Aubrey, that's weird. Like, or that's troubling. I'm worried. Help me understand yes. what, why you think this. And you and I could go back and forth and maybe agree to disagree, or maybe it's a breaking of a relationship, but at least it's been talked about. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, you and I, obviously the person doesn't listen to the show because you have made your thoughts on abortion very clear. Well, that's, on what I, that's what I well. was thinking. We have talked a lot about how we, you and I are both pro-life and how I feel like it is, it is what, I mean, you know, I care about a lot of things, including anti-racism, but I also deeply care about the vulnerable when it comes to the unborn child. And so I, I think that's part of it is I didn't like being maybe misjudged, but the harder part was, was what you were saying that uh, they were willing to just sort of end our relationship mm-hmm, mm-hmm. based on a false assumption. And so ultimately, I don't want to keep venting about this person. God, no, has gr- God has grace for all of us. But I'm with you, Brian. Like, I think this is what's wrong with social media. And somehow we have to pause before we jump to conclusions. And then we need to, like, pick up the phone. Or we need to, even if this person wanted to DM me, they could say, oh, hey, something you posted surprised me. Can I ask you some follow-up questions about that? You know, something like that. There are ways to do this peaceably for God's glory and for the honoring the other person. And then there are ways that we don't. And so we just have to reclaim. I don't know. We have to reclaim like goodness in social media, period. Yeah, it's the old Jim Dennison, who we've friend of the show, mm. his book, uh, all dealing with civility. Like, what's it look like? And let's just be blunt. That person calling you and, and wanting to have a conversation is um, it could be nerve wracking. Totally. Like, that could be really scary. Uh, but it's still the way we have to do things or just let it go. But yeah. to just kind of use social media that way to throw things at people. Yeah, I can understand why that would be really uh, okay. that would be hard. Thanks for that therapy session. I needed that. Um, the name of the book you mentioned, by the way, respectfully, I disagree from our friend Jim Dennison. And he talks about de- disagreeing civilly, which ultimately is what we we, we have to get better at this. That's OK, right. I can breathe a little deeper. Thanks for letting Thanks me for doing that. That yeah. was fun. Appreciate that, was fun. that. Appreciate you being a listening ear and my therapist, Brian. All right. We'll stick around because we're actually going to talk about another very sticky topic. We're going to talk about CRT, critical race theory, how Christians ought to think about it, how Christians ought to talk about it. So stick around. We'll be back with that. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. I am Aubrey Sampson, joined by my co-host, Brian Fromm. We hope you're having a wonderful day, and we're so glad that you've been with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Brian, we're about to dive deep into a topic that a lot of people are talking about online, on the news. Every email I get right now is about (laughs) this topic of CRT, critical race theory. Now, here's what I want to say from the start. I have never wanted to talk about critical race theory um, because I'm not an academic that's an expert in critical race theory. And ultimately, CRT has been in academia, but it has become mainstream over the past year, I'd say, since the pandemic. And there's a lot of people that are having an 
intense reaction to it, maybe without totally understanding what it is. And so this is not me and you saying you must affirm CRT. There are things to affirm and there are things that absolutely as Christians we can't affirm. But what I think is really important for Christians is to be able to engage with topics with thoughtfulness, with intelligence, with understanding, instead of just with reaction and emotion. And so Mm -hmm. this is one of those topics that um, Morgan Lee, who's a friend of the show, she has a podcast at Christianity Today called Crick called Quick to Listen, where basically what they do is kind of deep dives into issues that Christians are divided about and help us break down and understand what those issues are. And so Morgan Lee interviewed D.A. Horton um, to talk about what CRT is. And D.A. Horton is a pastor. He's an author. He's also an intellect. He actually wrote four articles for Ed Stetzer's blog, The Exchange, on CRT, helping us understand what CRT is, how we can think about it, how we can talk about it. And um, I wanted to play just a little bit of the podcast that explains to us what CRT is, what critical race theory is, because he helps he helps us wrap our minds around it, I think. So let's take a listen to that. The five themes that I typically identify critical race theory in the writings of the primary voices is that number one, race is something that is man-made and it has created privilege for something that is known as whiteness. And that term white, according to historian David Rodiger, conveys a created American identity, which immigrants from Eastern and Southern Europe could assimilate. So they would become what we know today as white in exchange for their ethnic heritage. And that would secure them citizenship, employment, housing, and even religious freedoms and liberties. So they would no longer be known as Italian or Ukrainian or Russian. They would be known simply as white. In addition to that, racism is something that is seen as permanent in the the United States of America. And a lot of that is because of the language and the implicit racist language in our founding documents, like the Declaration of Independence in addition to the U.S. Constitution. The third thing is that counter stories of the people who are marginalized are necessary. A counter story is basically in Christian language, we call it a testimony. It's somebody sharing their testimony of how they have had interaction with racism in America. The fourth is being colorblind is not being truthful. And then the fifth element that I would say is a common theme is that racial progress seems to only be made when quote unquote white people are the ones who benefit from it. So these are the five themes that I have identified from the primary voices themselves. Okay, so that's that's um, D.A. Horton talking about some of the academics, some of the history behind CRT. And I think a question that was posed that's really important in this conversation, Brian, is for those of us outside of academia, how can we begin to understand what it is? Yeah, it's a great question because like you said, uh, the whole idea of critical race theory right now is all over the news. It's just, it has become a term um, that when used comes loaded, right? It sets a bomb off into uh, the conversation. And um, I was just having this conversation with my brother-in-law this weekend, like 
You know, I, I don't I think you framed it in this way. I'm not here to say critical race theory is right or wrong. Yeah. I'm here to say that I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And and that I think there's a couple things that need to happen. I think that we as Christ crawlers especially need to own the fact when we don't know what we're necessarily talking about. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and just be like, listen, I. I haven't spent much time reading. Yeah, I've seen the headlines. Yeah, the sound bites. But like, have I really read? Like, this isn't a new thing, right. a new theory that's right. out there. It's just come to prominence. And, you know, there's a lot of fear about is this being taught in schools or this, that. And so I would start by people saying, being honest and going, listen, I don't really know the new one. If you asked me to sum up critical race theory in, you know, in one minute. I probably wouldn't be able to do it. Right. Okay. Right. So I think being honest right. is really important here and just going, okay. But then I think we move on to the next part. And that's to say, uh, but I'm going to do some, some work and try to understand it. Like it's, uh, it's a big enough cultural conversation right now that it, it requires us to go, you know what? I'm going to go, no pun intended here, and read critically. I'm going to go and read the academics. I'm going to go and read. And most importantly, I'm going to read on both sides of this. That's good. Yeah. I'm going to read people who are like critical race theory is the most important thing out there right now. It transforms society and the church and should be taught in schools and whatever else. And I'm going to go read people who are academics who are saying critical race theory is the most dangerous thing to our society right now. And it must be protected from our kids, whatever else it might be. I'm kind of making up those. Yeah, right, right, right. right. Uh, For, for effect, right. I want to exaggerate a little bit here, but I think, I think it becomes important for people like us, Aubrey, especially when people ask us, what do we think? And we have a talk show where we have to talk about things of the day Mm -hmm. to go. I don't really understand it, but it behooves us to do the work to understand it so that we can talk intelligently and not just be defined or, or swayed by what the next person tweets or by what the next person says on Fox News or MSNBC or whatever, or the email forwards we get from an earlier conversation, but that I can instead go, okay, no, no, let me help you uh, as a pastor. Let me help my church understand what's going on here or a radio host. Let me help you understand. And so I think if if we start from those two approaches uh, and listen to the people who really have done the work, uh, listen in the sense of, helping me understand the uh, the uh, conversation. I think then as we take a posture of learner, I think we're much better uh, set to have the conversation. Yeah. And I think just some quick points from D.A. Horton. Um, again, you can read these at ChristianityToday.com. You can go to list. You can listen to the Quick to Listen podcast as well. You can go to Ed Stetzer's blog, The Exchange, to read his articles. But what he ultimately talks about is um, – there are five themes from CRT and that CRT doesn't always automatically unequivocally equal Marxism. And I think that's what we have to be aware of because there's a lot of rhetoric that says it's Marxist, it's Marxist. D.A. Horton teaches that the founder of CRT actually distanced himself from Marxism. Mm. And so it, it can have some Marxist theories. We, of course, renounce those as Christians, but there are some things that are actually really important for us to hear and listen and affirm. And one of those things that D.A. Horton talks about is that 
race is something that's man-made and it created privilege for some and it did not create privilege for others. That is true. We can affirm that as Christians. The second thing is that racism is something that's permanent in the United States because the United States um, had some implicit racist language in our founding documents. So I would like to see racism change and be fought. But that's something that CRT puts forth. It also puts forth that we need to hear counter stories from marginalized people. And I think that's really important that we hear the testimonies of our brothers and sisters and how they have experienced racism in America. The fourth is that being colorblind is not being truthful. And then the fifth is that um, progress seems to be made only when white people are the ones to benefit from it. And I would say historically, we've seen that that's true. And so I think those are things that we can affirm as Christians and say, okay, wow, our brothers and sisters of color are saying that that has been their experience. So instead of just freaking out about CRT, perhaps we can say, what can we do better as Christians to affirm the stories of our brothers and sisters of color, to make the world a better place, and to be aware of the the racism that we hold, whether or not we realize we do, and then ask the Lord to to make change, to make peace. But when we dismiss this conversation totally, I think what ends up happening is it feels like we're being dismissive of stories from our brothers and sisters. And that's where I, of color. And I just don't want us to get in that habit. Yeah. I just think it's important to have the conversation. We don't need to be scared of conversation. There you and go. So part of the way you have the conversation is to understand more fully what it is the conversation is about. Let's talk about, yeah. let's actually be like, if you're out there right now and you're like a big critical race theory one way or the other, but you can't explain it at all. That's problematic as right. it is with any topic. So do the work and then engage the conversation and we'll all be better off for having that conversation. That's good. Thanks for that uh, Mm -hmm. word, Brian. That's a good word for all of us. Okay, well, stick around. Brian and I are both pastors. Many of you listening go to church or lead churches, and we're going to talk about why the church cannot be the same after COVID. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we're so glad that you've been with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Brian and I are both pastors. Brian pastors a church called... Four Corners Community Church in, in Darien, Illinois, kind of South Downers Grove. And you, Pastor? Renewal Church in West Chicago, Illinois, alongside my husband, Kevin. And, uh, you know, we've talked about plenty on the show that it has been a hard year and a half for pastors. That's right. And it's been a hard year and a half for churchgoers as well. And over at Christianity Today, a friend of the show, Kate Shelnut, is asking the question, talking about why church can't be the same after the pandemic. And part of that is because after a year and a half, we are bringing the weight of trauma, the weight of tensions that have been building up. We're bringing them to the church building with us. Brian, you guys have been meeting for quite a while now. Is Mm -hmm, that correct? mm -hmm. Yeah, for almost a year by now. Okay. And has it felt different than it was before Uh. the pandemic? A hundred percent. Okay, and so break that down I, for us. I would say this. So last year, um, we started meeting outside. So we did the virtual thing for a long time, like everybody, yeah. and not nearly as long as you guys had to, but we did the virtual thing for a while. And then we moved to about this time last year, meeting outside in the parking lot. Uh, and then it just got to be too hot and kind of some of the stuff changed. Uh, and so we moved it inside. But for the better part of the last year, until about the last month, honestly, 
it was, you have to sign up. We can only have this many people. Everybody masked for the whole time. So it felt very different. Yeah. Uh, and now we're back to what feels like they are still not 100% normal, but feels much more normal. And, and Aubrey, what I would say, what we're experiencing and what I'm experiencing is um, both kind of this, like there's an excitement to be back. There's an excitement to see one another. And it's very clear that there's a a significant number of people who either uh, haven't come back or mm-hmm. aren't coming back. Right. And that's what makes this so odd. It's this, uh, it's this, how do you wrestle with, uh, like, how do you just put that together? Like, how do you figure out, all right, these are our people. This is our church now, or no, I'm still going to chase those people. And then you've got, you know, the people who still don't want to come because they feel like COVID is still really dangerous. Mm-hmm. And you've got the people who don't want to come because everything's not a hundred percent normal. It's mm-hmm. just such a weird deal right now. And I know you guys have been much shorter time for, for reasons outside of your control. What's right. it been like for you as you've kind of experienced it? Yeah, we've only been back three Sundays simply because we use a community space as our Sunday morning building. And so they just opened. So that allowed us to just now reopen. And yeah, I mean, it's been it's been really strange. In one sense, it's been kind of amazing because we have almost a brand new church. And so we're like, wow, Lord, you grew the church in the middle of COVID. Only you could do something like that. But then a lot of people just aren't around either because they, um, like you said, they're not quite ready yet. uh, Physically, emotionally, they're just on their guard about COVID, which I totally respect. But some people have just sort of ghosted the church. And I know people leave churches. That's not shocking. But it is a little bit surprising. And I'm hearing this from a lot of my pastor friends that people you thought were in or people you've walked through as a pastor through some really difficult things in their life or some really important milestones that suddenly they're just not part of your church and they haven't told you. And that's really, that's kind of an intense experience for a pastor. One of the things this article says, Kate Shellnet at Christianity Today says that the past year and a half didn't just change how Christians met. It changed their hearts and minds toward the church. Barna, the research group, found that a third of practicing Christians had dropped out of church at some point. 29% of senior pastors said they seriously considered quitting mm. in the past year. What do you think about that, Brian? It doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it, yeah. Because so much has changed and so much has been out of our control and so much uh, is outside of your training, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. like That's I, true. You know, we joke about like, I didn't go to school. You didn't go to school to know when masks needed to come off or <laughs> right. uh, what, you know, children's ministry should look like in the midst of a pandemic. Or like you said, on a more serious level, how to deal with people who have, I think you used a great phrase, kind of ghosted the church. Because mm-hmm. not only are you like, are they coming back? But you're also kind of thinking, and why don't, why won't they answer my email? right what have i done what happened yeah so i think for a lot of us as ministry leaders i know this is true for me uh you really struggle when anybody leaves your church Mm -hmm. right and so now to have a larger number of people possibly not coming back outside like for things that have been outside of your control Mm -hmm. uh, it's just hard like there's no other way and so it doesn't surprise me that people have talked about quitting and it, it, it continues though to surprise me uh, maybe I shouldn't be surprised. I didn't think that there would be this still kind of like uh, large number of people just not doing church anymore. And I guess I was not probably naive in the beginning. I think when people get out of practice, you know, it's it's a it's you, you have this decision of do I want to get back into that right. practice? And I do suspect that not suspect. I know that there are things for the church at large that we need to learn. 
that there are probably ways and things that we were doing as the church that once they went away, it, it didn't uh, necessarily translate to people going, I need to get back right, as soon as I can. Yeah. One of the um, things that's quoted here in this article, Kate interviews Colin Hansen, who's an elder at Redeemer Community Church in Birmingham. He says this, we have to retrain people, retrain people from the beginning on why you should bother to assemble at all. Mm-hmm. I think pastors take that for granted and are going to be surprised how many people never had that vision to begin with and never come back when the all clear is given. So Brian, uh, talk to us about that. You're a pastor. Why should people go to church? Yeah, that's a, that is the $64,000 question that mm-hmm. I think a lot of us just assumed we knew the answer to. Right. Like, well, you go to church because you go to church, right? Like, that's what you're supposed to do. I think the answer still lies in the um, uh, in the value and in the importance of being linked closely with other believers. Kind hmm. of the uh, the don't give up meeting together. You know, um, yeah, spur one another on to love and good deeds. Like this kind of idea. Uh, I think the idea of gathering together around the preached word, around the sacraments. Uh, around singing together praises to our, I think there's a togetherness that is foundational, uh, to our, um, to our Christian faith that we've lost over the last year. But here's the deal. I think that we also live in a culture where people have gone through the last year going, I'm fine. Like, I didn't go <laughs> right. to church and I'm fine. And I, speaks, I was okay. It didn't, I didn't skip a beat. Yeah. Right. And that speaks to the consumeristic nature of things a little bit. And that, and, and we just have to be honest about that. I think we need to get back to speaking of church in the sense of community mm. and the importance of it. And also, how can you serve other people? If it is just about what can people get, then they probably don't need to come back. There are other ways that people have learned to get what they that's need. A good point. Yeah. And, and so that's it. With the minute we have, what would you say to people as to the importance? Why regather? Yeah, I mean, I would echo what you say, that the church is a body of people who are actually together uh, practicing the sacraments, worshiping God, sitting under the teaching of the Bible, breaking bread together on mission together. And you have to do that in person. We've seen so many problems come because we're isolated or we're doing it online and we're forgetting that embodied nature of the church. And I I do think this is a moment for us to kind of go back to that acts too, like why the church was formed, what the church was about. And remember that we are called as Christians to be contributors to the kingdom and not just consumers of church. And um, I, I, at the same time, I get it. It's been fantastic to have a break on the weekends mm-hmm. as pastors. Mm-hmm. I know you and I understand that, but the spirit of God has things to do uh, through the church and in the church and does that when we gather. So go back to church is what Brian and I are saying, (laughs) even even if it feels different. We'll stick around. Uh, The month of July has officially been called the birthday do-over month. And so we're going to talk about that and what that means here on The Common Good coming up next. You've been listening to The Common Good. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Tuesday afternoon. My name is Aubrey Sampson, joined by my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we hope you're headed home to a good dinner tonight. Maybe, in fact, you're headed home to a good dessert tonight. I don't That'd know. Be if nice. Over the ho- Brian, did you get your apple pie over the 4th no. of July? 
Oh. I did not. Although at my brother-in-law and sister-in-law's house with all of Carrie's family where we were, there was a Portillo's chocolate cake. So I know that's not Americana, but it was good. I mean, that's pretty – Portillo's chocolate cake is a pretty staple thing. So it's basically yes. Americana. It's, it's definitely – It's basically. Illini-Akana. Illini-Akana. Oh, that's a good try right there. That yeah. was good. Well, that was well good. I'll keep working on that. Well, I ask you that question because I don't know if you know this, but July is officially – National Birthday Do-Over Month, which is meant to give anyone anywhere in the country an opportunity to take an extra moment to celebrate themselves and do over their 2020 birthday. So uh, the company Milk Bar and their founder, Christina Tozzi, really made this up essentially because so many people had birthdays in the pandemic and didn't get to celebrate. And so they wanted to honor people's birthdays by having them celebrate like I love it with some extra love, some extra celebration. And um, I wanted to play this audio for you. They actually had some of their fans and followers create video of um, folks in their life who had really rough birthdays and um, nominate those folks to be able to have a birthday do-over. And it's really, really touching. So let's go ahead and listen to that. Hi, Milk Bar. Hello, Milk Bar. I'm when I think of one person who deserves a birthday do-over in 2021, the name Lindsay Canner comes to mind. 2020 was a real hard year for us. My husband was furloughed from his job. She is a registered nurse in Brooklyn, and during the pandemic, she spent a lot of hours working with COVID patients and nursing them back to health. This week, we found out that his mom has cancer. I had just lost my dad in March of 2020 to COVID. It's been a rough year, and I would love to surprise him with something sweet from Milk Bar. I think he's totally worth of getting one of these cakes. He loves cakes. You guys can help make it really, really, really special. An amazing way to show her how much she's appreciated. I know it would make her happy. So thank you for doing this. We love you guys. I hope whoever wins it has a wonderful birthday. All right. So that's just some sweet stories of how hard it's just. I mean, I got a little choked up because you remember how hard the pandemic was. And I, I don't know, Brian, did you have a birthday in the pandemic? Didn't we all? Well, I guess we all had. I guess that's true. We all had a birthday in the pandemic. Okay, so So what was yours like? Some of us had birthdays like when the more of the pandemic was more like kind of like everything shut down. Yeah. I'm trying to remember in May, uh, my birthday was pretty open. It wasn't that bad. And besides, we're like 44 now, 43, 44. No, I'm 44. So what is the birthday at 44 anyway? So, uh, but I. It makes me so sad that that you just said that. Yeah. Was that really dark? That was really dark, Brian. I feel like we need to have a whole like therapy session about that. (laughs) That's great. Uh, But no, but I do think the bigger point uh, that you make is a real important one that we lost out on a lot this year. We were just talking, I was talking to one of my family members the other day. And the number of times this weekend that I said, oh, like when we did that a year ago, and then we realized it was two years ago. It's like there's this lost year. Totally. Uh, Regardless, even if you weren't somebody who shut your light, there's still things you weren't able to do that I keep finding myself being like, oh, when we were all together, you know, a year ago, and then we were like, wait, that was two Fourth of July's ago. Mm -hmm. Hold on, that was two. And so I think there is an importance to us to acknowledge the things that were lost. And it really was sad. I mean, people did a great job with them. We did them with our kids when necessary, but- 
when the birthdays were just like these drive-by deals where you kind of just waved at each you other. You waved like, and honked or like threw a present on the line or something. Like you wanted to be like, oh, that's awesome. What a cool thing. And then in your mind, you're like, wait a minute. A kid deserves a oh, birthday party. Like yes. there, no, kid is, no kid is like jacked up like, man, this is the greatest thing. I got people to drive through my street right, and honk. Right. Like they want a party. And so I think – uh, the first thing that this reminds me of is just an acknowledgement for all that we lost as families, as go. individuals, as churches, as schools. Uh, and now as we are able to collectively do a lot of these things, again, you might have been doing these things for a while, but I'm talking collectively as a as kind of a society. The more that we could collectively do these now, like, let's really do them. Like, let's go back. Let's let's celebrate. Let's have fun. Like, I, I, I'm hoping the pendulum swings the other way and we just do big birthday parties and we just go crazy. Know, you know what I mean? I know, like, you I, want to reclaim it. I actually have a friend who works for a party, a sort of planning or a party vendor company. And he was saying that already in 2021, budgets for weddings, budgets for parties have gone up like this huge percentage because people get it. Like, they do want to go all out this year. They I do want to make this year count because last year felt so lost. And I think part of it is just sort of reclaiming who we are as people. Like we missed out on some rites of passages that maybe we didn't realize were such a big deal, but we've come to realize like these matter. And so now we're going to do it right. And and in fact, I I don't know much about Milk Bar, so I'm not trying to like sell you on Milk Bar listeners. But if you want to, you can go to MilkBarShop.com. They're going to continue surprising people throughout July if you want to nominate a friend or you can actually order one of these birthday boxes where they're surprising people with uh, things from Party City, like party supplies. They're surprising people with cakes and cookies and things like that and i don't even think you need to have to go to, you have to go to milk bar you could you could like deliver a party in a box for a friend or you mm. could decide you're gonna host a really big party because uh, you missed out last year and invite some friends over I, I i think like what you're saying brian is so accurate that we pause and acknowledge this i mean it feels like a whole other world right all just sort of survived through and acknowledge the pain acknowledge the heartache but move forward with celebration sort of reclaiming what was lost in a really intentional way yeah the the hard part will be uh some people will just kind of not fall back to you know the things we used to do but still have this uh you know this not cautious feel free to be cautious if you want to be cautious, but this collective cautiousness that's like, oh, maybe we just do things differently now, parties or church or whatever, school. And and my hope is that we can have that conversation as we move forward here. Like, no, we need to collectively be together again. We need to celebrate. We need to just have fun without talking about COVID and this and that. And I understand we're all different spots and this Mm -hmm. and that, but I hope that we can collectively get to the point where we're going, but you know what? Parties matter. Celebrating yeah. matters. Holidays yeah. matter. And let's go with for, let's go with gusto. Let's go and let's celebrate really well. Yeah, I love that. I, I think that's a good word for all of us. Let's go with gusto and let's gusto. celebrate really well. I think that's really, really important. Well, we have loved having you here today on The Common Good on this Tuesday afternoon. Once again, uh, not sure if it's Tuesday or Wednesday, but it is Tuesday. <laughs> Tomorrow's Wednesday, and we will be back tomorrow afternoon from four to six. We are so excited that you've joined us and so excited for tomorrow. We hope you have some birthday cake or you have some cookies this evening to celebrate. Uh, for Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.